Hey, guys. Huh. Check this out. Welcome to Check This Out, a podcast where we take an analytical view of the media that appeals to us as individuals and why. I am Elle, your host, and with me today is special guest and enemy of the show, The Passerby. If you would, please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself. Hello, y'all. I'm The Passerby, and I am a anthropomorphic horse and weirdo on the internet. Do not worry about this. A longtime enemy of the show, and... Uh, I guess, uh, Revolution Forever. Hell yeah. (laughs) Now, you're bringing something to the table that you enjoy and are passionate about. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about it in your own words? Uh, Yes, today we are going to be discussing the video game Rainbow Six Siege. Hashtag it is dying. Um, It is a competitive multiplayer shooter, 5v5, your usual uh, competitive FPS stuff. However, it's a little different versus, um, how should you say, uh, current just FPSs in general. Because uh, most FPSs that you know are out there, CS:GO, Overwatch, Valorant, there's a certain um, competitive sponginess to your shooting aspect, like. Headshots aren't always guaranteed one-shot kills. Sometimes some characters have armor, sometimes they don't. And overall, the very essence of the game is, well, you want to be positioning yourself and shooting each other. It's It's a game like that. So Rainbow Six Siege is a little different because they've added an element of line of sight and a um, certain, I want to say... work to the formula in where in Rainbow Six Siege, uh, it has one-shot headshot, and you don't have as much health as other games, and the line-of-sight wrinkle is the destructibility of their environment. So you have some of that in uh, multiplayer games like Battlefield, where if you shoot a building, the building... If you are in the right battlefield game, will collapse and you won't have that cover. In Rainbow Six Siege, there's a mechanic similar to that called destructibility in where certain floors, ceilings, walls are considered destroyable. And because you can destroy them, you can open up lines of sight and things like that. So um, the corollary to games that don't have that would be your usual molly setups or other such um, intricacies like in... um, CSGO, you have, oh, if you look at this texture and you look up 45 degrees, you can throw a grenade to where you want to throw it. Or in Valorant, where um, I believe I just learned about this streamer called Perry2n or something, and he has the same sort of idea where he uh, just is able to throw bombs everywhere. So in Rainbow Six Siege, there's this really compact line of sight element where Oh, if I go to the second floor and shoot a hole in the floor, which is the ceiling of a first floor room, I can see down into this area and play like that. And that's like a main draw. So it kind of gives you that little bit of versatility. (laughs) Yes, yes. Cool. So I have my prepared list of questions that are designed to delve a bit deeper into that enjoyment of yours, if that's all right. Very much so. Oh, and I forgot to mention... Um, Rainbow Six Siege is a hero shooter, and it currently has 64 characters. Ooh, joyous choices. <laughs> yes. So, uh, question one. Imagine I was someone who has been recently awoken from a coma, or resurrected from being frozen in an ice, or even an inanimate object gifted knowledge of modern times and sentience. So essentially, I know what media is, but I have never personally experienced any. How would you explain Rainbow Six Siege without comparing it to something that I wouldn't know? 
there was a right-wing authoritarian author named Tom Clancy who sold his name to a game company called Ubisoft, who made many games based on his previous book series. And on these games, Rainbow Six Siege is the latest in a long line of games called Rainbow Six, which is about a multinational, multi-ethnic um, counterterrorism organization sent to deal with the threats that threaten the entire world, even though theoretically it's actually a American military operation. It really depends on how you read it. And uh, Rainbow Six Siege is the current iteration, which takes the form as a competitive multiplayer shooter with uh, many hero characters, which all have special unique abilities that will alter the terrain of the map or um, cause some interaction with each other that will hopefully turn out fun and not rage-inducing. Oh, one, one would hope. <laughs> um, so, uh, question two. Hypothetically, our positions are reversed, and I'm guesting on your immensely popular and award-winning podcast. I've just answered the previous question with your response verbatim. What stood out to you the most? What stood out to me the most is that the uh, fact that there are 64 characters. That's a lot of characters. Yeah. It just the amount of like replayability that you must get from it, even with, the, with the one character, let alone 64 different ones. Yes, they're going to be continually adding more characters. We'll be getting one poor quarter for at least three more years. Cool. So they're planning on supporting it for a little while at least. Yeah. Well, their goal is to get to 100, but uh, we don't know if they'll get there. Oof. What would that even look like? I mean, how many times can you make someone with gun? Um, It really depends. Like, there At least is... 64, apparently. Oh, 64, yeah. Well, the... It is very, very... It's very, very... Um... What's the word? Um, niche? No. Monocular? No. Um, narrowing of dude with gun. Because they're all dude with gun. Let's be clear. They all have... They're all dudes, and they all have a gun. Well, not all dudes in the gender term, but all you know people, and they all have gun. Um, the quirk is trying to figure out exactly what to give them that will make them interesting... And how they interact with the world. So, in the beginning, there was 20, and the first 20 were all within the realm of reason. It was dude with gun and car battery, or dude with gun and grenade launcher, or dude with gun and bigger explosive that will go through a wall. And now, in year uh, 7 of Rainbow Six Siege, we now have dude with gun that can throw a kunai that will explode a bulletproof shield of foam in a, I want to say, two meter high by one, like a two meter by two meter sphere in which you can hide behind or block off entrances. Of course, there is also just dude with big bulletproof camera that he puts somewhere. There's many, many dudes, and they all have various gadgets that are potentially fantastical or... A car battery. And some of them are gun. And some of them are gun, yes. Like, let's not forget that some of them are actually just gun. Yeah. I mean, that's some of the greatest superpowers of all time have been gun. Mm. Uh, currently, the newest character, which is very underwhelming, has a gun that shoots bees. And as you do. As you do. And um, in the world of Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege, uh which bears the very, very strong name, Tom Clancy, which is known for the accuracy of its minutiae. Um, the new character, his name is called Grimm. He is from Singapore, I believe. And uh, his gun uh, that shoots bees shoots um, a uh, little hive that when it lands will deploy a swarm of little microchip bees, which if you interact with them will ping you on the map and will reveal your location 
for a set amount of time. He is not really oh. good right now. That, that just makes me concerned that if he's known for accuracy, what the military is actually working on then? Um, theoretically, <laughs> they do have these little micro drones that could do that. Like there are off the shelf technologies that could do that. Yes. And, um, yeah, don't worry about it. It's, it's fine. It's fine. So, don't worry what, uh, the billions upon billions of dollars going into the military industrial complex is doing. Yes. We don't need to worry about it at all. So this is where all the bays in the world are disappearing to the army. <laughs> Oh, no. We are cyberdizing the bees. But no, his bees are made of little microchips. Yeah. They're, they're not uh, signing up at bee college to get free tuition with the army. No, they are not. Uh, so question three. We can tell that this is a subject that you care about, but what got you to give it a chance in the first place? I bought a gaming PC, well, the parts of a gaming PC, and put it together in October twenty. 20- 16 and the first game i installed on that was PUBG, and then PUBG sort of was dying out around i want to say 2017 like it was still really popular but the lure community of which i met you in was branching out to other things and i saw this other game which people were playing and i got invited to play it and i met some people there and they told me to try it and i did and i liked it and there we go. It was my, I want to say, second multiplayer online game that was on a PC. Uh, the first being PUBG. And the third would have been Escape from Tarkov. And I've basically been still playing all three for, well, only the second and third for a long while. I haven't played PUBG in a long time. Yeah. And for reference, it's uh, Lure is the Loading Ready Run, a internet-based sort of sketch comedy troupe slash video production warehouse, like house and just all-around internet juggernaut at this point. I would not call them a sketch comedy group anymore. They don't do sketch yeah. comedy that much. They're a media, they're a multimedia company now. Like they do streaming, uh, various content. Like if you want to be as the kids say, cringe, you'd call them content creators. Yeah, hashtag influencers. Yes. But no, I mean, I think I've just been with them long enough that it, like, that's the first descriptor that comes to mind. Canadian sketch comics, yes. Yeah. Uh, Comedy that makes no apologies. Sorry. Mm. Uh, Hashtag free dick butt. Yeah. So I, I guess this would make a little bit of a, a weird question given that, but question four. For some people, a sense of community and like-mindedness are integral to their enjoyment of something. To your knowledge, is there a community around Rainbow Six Siege that you're aware of? And if so, what are they like? Uh... edit that out. So um, the community around Rainbow Six Siege is it can be really positive or it can be really, really negative. It is as wide of a swing as you can with the worst toxicity that Call of Duty brings to um, acts of like general okayness like Let's be clear, the bar is not uh, devil and angel. It is devil and mid. Um, The community around Rainbow Six Siege, depending on how you interact with it via various content creators or the Reddit or uh, your personal playgroup, is wildly different. There will be some people who will be willing to just give you a whole afternoon to teach you how to play this game because this game has an incredibly huge skill gap. And there will be people that will kill you in-game and grief you because you have the rainbow background on the pride character uh, package with the skins. 
you know, the cosmetics, like you get that and you put on your placa, mm. they will just grief you the hell out because apparently we never grew out of Xbox Live from the 360 days. No. Um, so it is really much a swing. Like I personally play Rainbow Six Siege with about five to six people like regularly in the LRR community. Um, and they take the game pretty seriously in so far as they want to be mechanically good at it. Like they'll have fun sometimes and just joke around and do whatevs, but um, they do have a goal of actually winning. And I would call them pretty, pretty okay. Like if, if anything, they are the angels of this wide swing because, you know, we're kind to each other as best as we can. And we enjoy each other's company while we play the game. And we played the game um, well enough, I suppose. I believe uh, the last time I played really, really well before I got super rusty was uh, we got to platinum rank, which is like second or third from the top. I'd have to look at the graph. And, you know, that's cool. I also met some random people online that were really kind and really cool. Uh, we joked around and... I've dropped out of contact with them because I've been busy. But uh, yeah, like that's the positive. The negative is the worst cesspit of Call of Duty that you could find from Xbox Live in 2006. Yeah, I was just thinking, it's like people being nice to each other on the internet, blasphemy. Yes. (laughs) But no, it, it is a shame that that's kind of the default setting when it's so much easier just to be nice and respectful to people. Like, it really doesn't take that much effort, people. Come on. It does not, no. Um, Like, it is a real, real disconnect between the people that just enjoy the griefing and trolling and the people that just want to have fun and people who uh, then socialize to think having fun is griefing and trolling is just not great. Like it, it is so much easier to not do something than to do something. I mean, hell, I'm not doing several things right now. I So I, I just don't get the thing where it's like, I'm going to go out of my way to make things miserable. Well, well there's, there's, there's different ways of making things miserable. Like there are people who decide... Hey, I have disposable income and I can make a bunch of accounts and I can cheat on them and just blatantly do that for fun. And that I think is a little little different from people who just decide to be just assholes, you know? Cause cheating is a form of assholism, but if you think about it, one is I am taking this technology and interacting with it in a way that is not appropriate, but is interesting in a technical aspect versus just being a dick, a big old dick who is dicking all over. And that's the thing. It's like, I have no problem with people cheating or whatever in single player games, but the second you take it online, that's when it becomes an issue for other people. Yeah. And like, I mean, as much as you, like, own the game or whatever these days by buying it, that still doesn't give you the, the right to do that for other people as well, to dictate their experience? It does not, now, And it is, frankly, a huge problem that might actually kill the game. Um, yeah. yeah probably wouldn't like, be the first, unfortunately. Probably not going to be the last. Now, this game is seven years old right now, and it's still going strong. There were still some major tournaments during COVID, and it is considered a pretty hefty esport. But, you know, the company, Ubisoft, isn't doing the best that they could, and people recognize that. And once once people recognize that you're not steering the ship well, they're going to jump ship. Because... No one wants yeah. to be on a ship that goes onto the rocks, you know? Yeah, but if the captain's doing the job, he goes down with the ship. Yes, yes, but Ubisoft will never go down the ship. Oh. Ubisoft is too big to fail. No, exactly. Mm. So the positive aspects of the community is that there have been instances where things have gone 
well, midly, midly heartwarming. Um, two content creators over the last few years have passed. One from a long bout of illness pre-COVID. I believe it was a form of cancer. His name was Icy Fox. And Ubisoft um, put his logo in the game as a very easily to obtain um, weapons charm. And another person was a shoutcaster. Uh, for those that do not know, shoutcasting is when you commentate the game as it's live played. It's sort of like football commentary in a way with the excitement and whatnots. Um, he passed in a car accident. His name was Kickstar, and they, uh, I believe they kept his weapon charm that you could get through his uh, Twitch stream that you subscribed to. And, you know, there was a lot of, you know, Hashtag press F for respect. But, um, yeah, that's that's as it goes, you know? Yeah, that's... I mean, that's the way it goes, as you said. Yeah. Uh, question five. There are many aspects of media that resonate differently with different people. What is your favorite part? Favorite part of what? Media? Of uh, Rainbow Six, specifically. Uh, My favorite part of Rainbow Six is that there is a, there's a visual distinctness to the characters that I enjoy, which I will call um, military chic. It isn't tactical because tactical has some, um, well, if you're tactical, you're incompetent or you're tactical and you're just a big fat geek who doesn't do anything. You know what I mean? There's a uh, certain style niche that, you know, is away from tactical. And there's a couple of fantastical skin elements, you know, cosmetics. So it's sort of combining into a wide range. But the base aesthetic was very good. Like, it was very uh, distinctive and stylish, and I enjoyed it. Then you have all these character powers that I personally enjoy as well. And it's it sort of interacts really well. Cool. Uh, So question six, following on from the previous question, what do you think would appeal most to the general public? Um, I believe what would appeal most to the general public would be the spectacle of, excuse me, please edit that that out. Um, The spectacle of the game, like there is a real interesting joy to putting down an explosive charge on a floor which is another room ceiling and then shooting through the floor beams at someone who can't really do anything because of how camera perspective and ankles work like there's a just real nice satisfactory explosion and then you get a view on someone and it's all good but that is of course the skill gap Yeah. Uh, it takes time to build up to a level where you're like, competent at something and depending on the audio, like the community around it, that could take a very long time if you're not being allowed to. Yes. Um, I personally have a teaching style of video games that is very lecture heavy with um, practical examples. I basically teach it like a 101 class with a lab element. Um, Because video games have gotten to the point of where you might actually need a 101 class with a lab element. Um, Your Dark Souls, for example, your Bloodborns, your Elden Rings, your Escape from Tarkovs, your CSGOs. There's so much unwritten, untutorialized minutiae in video games now that... Even in a game as simple as Minecraft, you will need either a wiki or someone to help you or something along those lines because, oh, I want to build a circle in Minecraft. How do you do that? Well, you need to know geometry. Uh, Mathematics, my weaknesses. This is... But now, see, I find that interesting because, like, I am a very text-based visual learner. Like, you could have the most informative, like, YouTube video out there and it's just, that will wash over me. But if you put it all down in text without, like, 
abbreviating too much because you know the shorthand that the community uses and that will sink in for me a lot better than just watching someone else do the thing and talking over it and mm. i and i don't know why uh it's a uh puts on clinical psychology degree hat um it's a ter- it's a um what do you call it it's a learning style like everyone's familiar with the um, three learning styles that we have nowadays which is visual auditory or kinesthetic but when we process information there is a preference on how we do it that changes which the medium that we receive it in so people that prefer say tiktok to cook a recipe they are processing information more smoothly through the audio visual uh the audio visual elements of their brain which um might mean that they are picking up the language the tone the inflection and it is triggering a response to pay attention while some people who uh, interact with writing which is much different from typing like there's a lot of nuance there where someone gets a recipe book out and instead of cooking it from the tiktok which they can't pay attention to because there's so many distracting elements the visual learning and recognition of words goes to a different area of the brain which triggers uh recognition and understanding so like it is it is a very very specific processing of how that works and it's not better or worse it's just how you, how you personally are um some people can't read a book at all because they do not connect with what the words mean these shapes do not translate into concepts or cult mm. or anything that connects to a matter at hand while audioly these sounds do equal those things So it's a very big ball that is probably worth several hundred thousand thesis projects. So, you know, that is that's just totally totally all right. Yeah. And I mean, I I guess it should come to no surprise for anyone who's listened to any of the other episodes or anything else that I've been in that I have been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder level 2. It's just like, yeah, that kind of makes a lot of sense about a lot of things. Yeah, I I would not be surprised if that is a, a significant element of that. Well, I have subject matter expertise here, but uh I believe this would be an inappropriate place to discuss it. So, how about we discuss that a little later? <laughs> Fair enough. Um so question 7. Say that I do end up enjoying this because of your excellent recommendation. What would be your number one follow-up? doesn't necessarily have to be the sequel or anything but where would i turn to if i wanted more of the same um currently nowhere hooray <laughs> but not even anything like you said it's like a hero shooter so not even like say an overwatch or uh like even a moba or anything The style of gameplay of Overwatch 2, which is what is currently out, is radically different from Rainbow Six Siege. The the format is different in the way that playing a deck of 52 playing cards and playing blackjack is a card game and playing with 60 magic cards is also a card game. they're within the same genre but the format and form and function are so radically different. Um with that aspect in mind, it is a hero shooter like Overwatch or um uh what do you call it? The Valorant and every character has a unique special power. But the the execution of the um genre is so radically different. Um that is one shot um kill weapon in um in uh Valorant for example it's called the op um it's also in CS:GO which is also called the op you shoot someone in the body they die um that sort of you need to obtain that weapon any character can have it 
does have a corollary in Siege in which is everyone dies to a single headshot. Like in games like CSGO or Valorant, that isn't strictly true. While um, I don't know for Valorant, but I do know in CSGO that is not strictly true because you can buy a helmet. Um, in Rainbow Six Siege, however, the the game is very, very clear to you on what's going on. Currently, they've changed how it used to work. There used to be a arcane mathematical model that everyone knew was sort of bullshit. And they decided that, no, that doesn't really working, and we'll just turn it into straight health. It used to be something along the lines of, oh, you have 100 uh, HP, and for every level of armor you have, you have a certain level of damage negation. But then that just turned out to be a little weird, so they decided to do, okay, we're just going to call it all health, and you have this amount of health. So if you have more armor rating, you just have more health now, and it's much more um, transparent. Um, so in Rainbow Six Siege, you'll know that this gun does this much damage at this range, and everyone has 100 to 120 HP, so if you have a gun that does 40 damage... Everyone's going to die in three shots. Um, in Overwatch, there's certainly an aspect of team fight and spectacle that is very much different from a more position-based, um, low margin of error gameplay style. Because in Rainbow Six Siege, the format of the uh, deathmatch isn't just shooting each other and respawning. It's you have three minutes, two and a half minutes, however many mo- minutes the format requires to uh, do a five on five with no response. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. So I'll just double check. Uh, do the characters, like the player characters, have? any backstory or anything to them, or are they just uh, mechanical uh, numbers? Well, they are. They all have backstories, and when Ubisoft was less lazy, they all used to speak their own languages. Um, so, for example, um, here's a character from um, Year One. His name is Jaeger. He is a um, German SWAT officer in the GS9. I believe the that is the... Yeah, he is in the GS9. He is a helicopter pilot. He is a mechanical genius. And his gadget is that he invented a active defense system small enough to be man-portable. And an active defense system, for people that don't know, is basically a little gun that shoots missiles out of the air. So it is currently in um, our current state of technology mounted on tapes to blow up RPGs that come at it. Um, This is like the real world equivalent. And he has invented a man portable one that will shoot grenades out of the sky. So he'll be safe from them. And it's implied that he has some form of personality disorder and, it is implied that he is, you know, this guy, and through his dialogue and through his mannerisms, he has character. Um, to continue on the corollary, his partner on defense, Bandit, who is also part of the GSG-9, who used to be an undercover officer in a hardcore biker gang who got addicted to drugs and went to prison and did all sorts of bad things while on the undercover mission, his gadget is a car battery. Now, 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 let us be very, very clear. His his gadget is a car battery with jumper cables. Huh. He doesn't do anything bad with them, though. What he does is when uh, defense starts you have what are things called reinforcements. And these reinforcements are metal walls that you put on uh, regular walls so people can't blow them up with regular explosives. You need a character power to blow them up. So in order to protect it, well, you used to only need the character power. Now they've introduced a secondary gadget that gives certain people the ability to blow it up. 
But when he puts his car battery against the wall, it becomes electrified and thus cannot be um, attacked with explosives because if the explosives touch it, the electricity will destroy the explosive without damaging the wall. And... I think I've just watched too much wrestling at this point because I'm just like car battery and jumper cables. That leads to some unpleasant things that they actually showed on TV. Well, if you watch his character introduction video when they were still doing character introduction videos, it does imply that very much so. But in the game, he puts his jumper cables uh, onto the metal wall. Well, he doesn't actually have the jumper cables attached to anything. Like you see them clamp on the terminals of battery but really, it's like a radius and, oh, you want to electrify the wall. That's that's your job. And because people can interact with his power, he needs to pick up his battery and put it back down when they use the EMPs on him because there are EMP grenades in this game. So that is the first, um, first the two characters from the first year. Very, very staple characters. These two characters are uh, very much... Uh, one of the foundational elements of the game because of how uh, early they came out. So let's fast forward to uh, pick a number five, six, or seven. Uh, let's go six. So in Rainbow Six Siege, year six, I believe, yes, we had, let's see now, we had the following characters. We got... Um, Operator Flores, who is a highly skilled, I believe, Argentinian thief or or Spanish thief, whose um, backstory is that he was on the periphery of the criminal underworld doing his heists and whatnot. But then some bad stuff happened and he got recruited by the FBI to do some things. And now... In the realm of the game, he is now attached to the Rainbow Six Siege counterterrorism unit to help out with his power, which is remote-controlled RC cars that have um, explosives on them. So he can drive a little RC car around that will explode, which might kill people, but really is to drive to um, defender defenses and blow those up when he can. Um, he. The next character that came out in year six is Thunderbird. Um, She is a uh, First Nation operator from Canada. Uh, Her backstory is that she is a part of an emergency response, wilderness emergency response, and that she is a um, helicopter pilot that goes in to rescue people. Um, nominally, and then she can also fight. I do believe that they did try and get some cultural sensitivity experts to design her character, as she does have some traditional um, face tattoos. I do not recall which tribe she's a part of, but she does have that as part of her backstory, and there is some characterization there. Um, The next one that came up is... uh, Osa, I believe she is the first trans operator of the game. And year six. Uh, yes, in year six. Um, she is a very detail-oriented, mad scientist, high-tech inventor sort of character who invented a uh, portable shield door frame thing that can attach to windows or doors, which then she can hide behind as a shield and it's see-through. So basically, she just has a riot shield that she can pull out and attach things. But um, yes, I believe she is trans. Let me double check that. Yes, it is the first transgender operator. And after that, you have Thorn, who is part of the National Police Services of the Republic of Ireland, which is, I guess, the Garda. And uh, she is a... uh, the youngest sister of a family of boys who were Irish farmers, and uh, she is very tough because of that. And uh, her power is that she has a little grenade mine thing, and she has a fifty caliber Uzi. And her personality is, yes, I grew up with five brothers, and they were all big and burly, and I beat them all up. Yeah, so kind of a bit of a difference in the perspective. Yes, um... 
It is. Um, it's very multinational. You have Middle Eastern characters, African characters, Asian characters. Um, it's it's really all over the place. Um, one character is an astronaut, and Sam Fisher is in this game. Just just unrelated, like Sam, like literal Sam Fisher is in the game. Mm. Yeah, he shows up. Yeah, because question eight is how you relate to a particular character. But that's why I was asking, because I wasn't sure if this was an applicable question based on how much or how little context of characters that you would get. There is a lot of characterization to be had if you look for it, and no one looks for it because no one particularly cares and it's not really necessary for the game. But there is a, just at the base, the basis of base levels, as you play the game, these characters will say things and emote in the way that shooter characters do. They'll quip, they'll say some things, and you'll get a sense of their personality and energy that way. But you really have to look at the supplementary materials, like their bios, or the game passes, or the animated videos, uh, and just you know infer things from the text and subtext. Like, uh, there's romance in this game. Like, two characters are in a relationship. And in another game in this franchise, uh, it's revealed they have a child together. Hmm. But if you were just just to play the game, you might not find that out. Yeah, and then comparing it to, like, as I brought up before, Overwatch, uh, you have those little periods of downtime before everything kicks off that that's when little sound bites and character things come out. So they make it a little bit more explicit? Uh, much so. Overwatch does it much more. And I don't know if that is a philosophy of game design or just more resources to the uh, VA department. Because in Rainbow Six Siege, they've cut it a little back. Like, um, I believe in the second or third year, um, let me double check that. Uh, yes, the, it would have been the second year. Uh, when um, the Korean operators came out, they they speak Korean at times, and so do the Japanese characters, and so do most of the characters. There's certain like lines, but there's this sense that the newer characters that have came out in the last two years don't don't have as many native language lines comparatively. So, like that makes diagenic sense in that this is a multinational. English-based team, you know, everyone speaks English, but it's a little, a little sad that you don't have as much like what Overwatch has, where Diva speaks in Korean, for example. Yeah. But um, personality-wise, any character that I feel attached to, um, my favorite character is Tachanka. Ah, and, the Krogan Homeworld. Yes. Uh, Tchanka is a Russian operator whose power in year one was, I have a turret, and that was very bad, and he became a meme character because his turret was very bad because he was attached to it and didn't have a really wide range of arc. Then they put a bulletproof shield on it, and it still wasn't very good. And then they decided, okay, we can't really have that anymore, and we will make it so that he'll take the machine gun off the turret and use it as his main weapon before it used to be a power that he'd have to deploy. And then we'll give him a grenade launcher that shoots Molotovs. I mean, get there eventually. Yeah. And he is a big old boisterous guy. And I like him. Um, Even though it's implied that he is old enough to have fought in the Soviet-Afghan war. I assume that is a little while ago. I don't know history, if that's history. That's the 80s, and we are currently in the 2020s. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, I guess since you're from the Commonwealth, this would be um, more applicable. Uh, one of the characters named Thatcher, after Margaret Thatcher, uh, was involved with the Operation Nimrod, the um, Iranian siege, uh, the Iranian embassy siege of the, was it the 70s? 
just the sound of things rushing over my head. Well, well, he was alive when Margaret Thatcher was alive, and we'll just we'll just call it there. Because I think in in our history classes we did uh, twenty minutes on the entire history of the uh, Aboriginal nation, like the First Nations people of Australia, mm-hmm. and then we did about six years on World War One. And then we did about uh, an hour of World War Two, mm-hmm. and then we did World War One again for some reason. I see. Well, since you're Australian, I'll tell you about the two Australian operators in this game. One is a very short man named Mozzie. And, yeah, uh, I can say that. Yes, he is a very short man named Mozzie. He has a really nice handlebar mustache. He is going bald, and he's really into motocross. Yeah, so he's from the West. Yeah, I get it. Yes, I will link you to a clip of him speaking, and we will determine exactly how Australian he is. But he is canonically something like 5'4", or something along those lines. And he is a very short man with the Australian SAS who rides a motorcycle sometimes. And his power is that he shoots these little drone things that um, attach to the enemy drones and hack them so he can take control of them. It's very much a little spidery thing. And uh, yes, he is a very excitable robotics enthusiast. I I was going to say, I assume that's where the game implies that's where the nickname comes from. But for me, like as an Australian, uh, Mozzie for a short guy is just because he's small and as annoying as shit. He is very small and he is very annoying. Um, he is very good and like he is a very good operator. His um, counterpart on attack, who is also a part of the Australian SAS, because this was back when they was going to give us two per faction. Now we only get one per faction because of development time. Um Her name is Gridlock, and she is this big, big old beefy woman. She has those thick, thick biceps. You know, she is a very big, beefy, thick woman with a gut. And um, she is his best friend from the Robot Battle Club, I believe. And they are just two SAS officers hanging out. In the outback, drinking beers. Mozzie is sometimes a volunteer firefighter. And, um, yeah, they hang out. Her uh, power is that she throws out a um, little grenade. Well, not it's not little. It is the size of a milk jug and probably weighs uh, several, several pounds. And it expands into a field of uh, caltrops. I mean... I don't know if gridlock is a term that we use properly here, but that would make sense if you're not being able to move anywhere. Um, is the format allow allowing for images to be shown? Like, can I link you to an image? I mean, you could link me to an image. I just have no way of putting it on the audio. Okay, very much so. I will link you to an image. Um, let me... I guess DM that to you on the Discord. Yarp. This is Mozzie. Yeah, I've seen several people that basically look exactly like that, minus the gun, give or take, in like about an hour's drive from my place. Okay, this is Mozzie's face. Yeah, a hasn't changed my impression. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's definitely someone who lives in the West, air quotes. Yes, and um, we will hear his voice later because I want to get your reaction of it, but that would be taking up too much time from the podcast. So, yeah, there's just a lot of characters and they're all interesting in their own ways, even though not many people will go into it and it's still very light backstory, but I find it interesting and I wish to cosplay many of these people. Fair. I mean, I, I've got a list of cosplay that is physically impossible. Very good. Um, I uh, myself impossible. need to... Yes. Impossible? No. Nothing is impossible. 
Me fail we, English. Mm. We will we will get you into those cosplays. It will be possible. It will be done. But yes, um, there is really a lot of characters that I just enjoy, and uh, it would be way too long to go through all of them. If you want to go through all of them, I'll go through all of them. Would you want me to go through all of them? Because we, I can just go through all of them really quick. I, I, I think that probably suffices for the question of, did you have a character you related to? Very much so, yes. <laughs> so technically we skipped question eight because that was that one. But uh, question nine, which, the final question. Uh, a lot of these types of interviews rely on the question of, what would you bring with you to a desert island in order to get to know about a person? But that's not this show. What we ask instead is to picture the following scenario. You're on a deserted island with no hope of rescue, but food, water, shelter, and all that have been taken care of so that you won't succumb before your natural time. You've also been provided a single piece of media and the means with which to engage with it. And for you, it is Rainbow Six Siege. How frequently do you utilize it, and how long would it take for you to be sick of it? I'd probably play at least four hours a day, and I would probably get sick of it at a monthly basis. I would have to set a quota for myself, but I would not get totally sick of it, given that historically I've been playing since year two. Um, So you've put in some hours at least at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the problem is, will it last long enough for it to be things since it's a live service game? Like, it's probably going cap out, crap out four years in, and I won't even be able to access the offline modes because it requires a service. See, I, I would imagine in this, uh, in this fantasy scenario, it is in a form of stasis almost. So you could play, like, the online and everything, but it doesn't get any updates either. Um, so it would be we, like as it stands into perpetuity. As it stands into perpetuity now, oh, that's going to be real tough since the quality of life update is still a week away, and oh, there's still so many cheetahs right now, and they're going to be massively wave banned, hopefully soon. Uh, this would be not be great now. Um. It could work. I just tried to grind out till to champion uh, solo queue, which would which is not something I do. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, but I can I can probably make it work and have some fun. So it, it's a bit of an interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> yes. But that is all the questions I had. So thank you for indulging me. Very good. Now I must teach you how to play this game. So hopefully that's given people a little bit of a deeper insight into your perspective. Now, before I ruin the show by talking for myself, it's time for everyone's actual favourite part, a word from the sponsors. Thank you, sponsors. Simply spectacular. Now, I have a follow-up review from last episode's enemy of the show and self-proclaimed definitely not a robot, Mara, and her recommendation of Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. Is this something that you're familiar with? I am not. Please tell me about it. So it is the first in, I think, at least a trilogy so far of uh, sci-fi novels. And it the, the main character is an AI that has been separated from their ship into a singular human body, which is a novel experience for them as they go about getting revenge for why they are cut off from their ship. Intercut with, uh, like, flashbacks describing how we got to that point. So you get to see what, like, a full-forced AI in multiple bodies all at the same time interacts with this universe. I, I found it very hard to get through. And I know Mara will uh, have problems with that, but yeah, um, the the way that the like the flashbacks happen isn't made clear. So all of a sudden, it'll just be, oh, this was twenty years ago. I'm like, I, sorry, what? I was just in the middle of reading this thing. Okay, and it 
it gets very jarring at points. And part of the the quote gimmick of the story is that the society that the main character Breck is from doesn't use gender pronouns. So everyone is referred to as she or her, despite what they despite what they could look like, and sometimes despite what they insist. So there is some misgendering going on just because of that's how brains work, apparently. Is this translated from an Asian language? Uh, no, this is... Uh, I mean, it could be theoretically, like, based on something like that, but it is, like, translated from a sci-fi society language. I see, I see. Because theoretically, you could have the verbally gender-neutral gendered term, like in Chinese, there's ta, which is them, or ni, which is you, and there's no no gendered aspect ni, but there are two different written ta's because one is female and one is male, but when you say it, it's context-dependent. Yeah. So, I mean, this is from the RACT, R-A-D-C-H. I can't remember how to pronounce that because I read mm-hmm. it not audio-booked it. But... Yeah, they do not do gender at all. And then when translating to other societies and languages, the default gender-neutral pronoun has been chosen to be she, her, which gets a little bit annoying when you're trying to work out who's actually speaking in a scene. Mm. But also it's like, uh, no, I am a man, I use he, him. Oh, she was very annoying. Like, oh. Come on, they've just told you. But, yeah, it it seemed very, very formal and stilted, and I'm not sure if that's just because the uh, perspective character is supposed to be an AI, a computer with no emotions, or if it's just maybe a little bit of poor writing. But apparently this won some Hugo Awards, so it can't be that, because... You know, critics are uniformly experts in everything. Well, it could be that it's implying that there is a... The implication of a mechanical being, a programmed artificial being, could be that whatever you've put into it is all that it's going to get. So theoretically, it could imply that no one's programmed gendered nouns in there. And it hasn't had the want, inclination, or need to update itself. And it could be a indication that the character is in stasis of some sort. Yeah. Like, does this character like does it? Is it imply that this character can learn things? Uh, yes. Although she kind of goes out of her way not to at some points. It's like you. For the, I mean, even like I was saying, the gender-specific stuff, you are actively being told to correct your pronoun usage. You choose not to. That that is problematic in the in the slightest, at least. That is problematic as real-world behavior, yes, but that could also be a character choice when yeah. you write it out. So, is yeah, it, it just is harder <laughs> to reconcile? sometimes in in the way that it's written mm-hmm. yeah it, it just made the whole book basically a little bit of a slog and it's like i i would like to like this series because it sounds fascinating it does sound at fascinating the, at the same time it's also like i don't really care <laughs> cool so this book series does sound interesting in a eclipse phase sort of way um, it's exploring a transhuman, you know, future or, you know, an uplifting future with AI and such. But mm-hmm. it sounds like it's um, the means is the message sort of thing in where how the media is constructed is in itself a message on how it should be consumed. And the fact that you have found it a slog does not necessarily mean that it is of a low quality. It could just mean that it is in a form 
that you yourself cannot um, process in a way that is enjoyable. Like, yeah, I think if you take the exact same story and put it like as a TV series, that would work better for the tone that it is putting out, I think. Most definitely. Like, it is the difference between watching a movie and reading a movie script. Although I have done that, and it depends on the movie. Really? You find movie scripts enjoyable? like Yeah, because I, I can visualize things a little bit easier sometimes. But there's so much shorthand in it that like I personally find it informative of what the author finds you know um, important. Like interior, a old Victorian house with Nick and Nack and Brack versus interior old house versus interior uh, very specific house. Yeah, and then in the movie version, you would just see that for as much time as they were willing to spend on showing it if it was important, but mm. wouldn't necessarily point it out as something to look for. Mm, very much so. Like the set design would just sort of wash over you as you then get to the dialogue or the action. Mm. It sounds like you might want to read the Murderbot Chronicles. That is uh, the recommended follow-up for this, rather uh, like in, in addition to the sequels. I see. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're on the right track. Very good. Uh, but, yeah, it is, for its credit, it is a very interesting look at how identity works because when you're used to being multiple people in multiple places all at once and now that connection is suddenly cut off, how do you identify as a single and like, how do you perceive the world and everything like that? So I credit where it's due, but the way it was presented, let it down, I think. Now, is that a fail? Is that a failure of the medium or a failure of the author? So this is where I'm unsure because, as I said, the tone throughout is very, <laughs> like, it is a little bit monotonous, and I'm not sure if that's because of the character choices or because of the author's writing. Because is this- the, some of the other characters that aren't like AI or robots or anything have a similar tone. But it is also a very militaristic society. So is that just ingrained in them? Now, this is now this is a question of is this book written in the third person omniscient versus the third person focused versus the second person or first person? Like we are seeing this world through the character perspective of this AI, yes? Yep. I believe it is first person. Well, if it is first person, then you can interpret everything you see through the lens of the character. So if someone appears to be robotic to the character, then that is how they would characterize them. So if there's ever a descriptor, you're not getting direct omniscient narration. You're getting the perspective of the character that you're inhabiting. So the difference would be like, Inherit, uh, not, no, let's not, let's not go there. Let's go to, um, um, in Animorphs, all the, all the narration is in the first person. My name is Jake. My name is Rock, Rachel. My name is Marco. My name is Cassie. Yeah. And their perspective in each story is different from each other's, even if they see the same thing. No, exactly. I, It's just like, I don't know if I can recall anyone emoting besides maybe raising their eyebrows. So that might also be a character decision of this AI in where they do not find emoting to be something to narrate, be worth narration. Like if you inhabited a different character in this world, maybe they would see this AI as, okay, this robot's being super creepy right now. No, exactly. But that did make the reading experience, as I said, a little bit less enjoyable because it was harder to just grasp things naturally. Very much so, yes. So I I guess with that, I would give it a 
uh, I think a generous two out of five. All right, then. But now, before we wrap up this, the final ever episode of Check This Out for this recording session, and 21st time I've made that joke, uh, could you tell the audience where they might find you online if you want to be found or if you have anything to advertise? Um, I currently have nothing to advertise. Uh, I used to try and be a cosplayer, but that fell through due to the pandemic and me getting robbed. Um, I am currently found on Twitter as the underscore passerby level three, as I was a PUBG cosplayer. Um, however, if you go there, all you'll find is leftist social justice retweets uh, from a armed minority perspective. So, you know, it's going to be a mixed bag. There's going to be some media there. Don't go there if you want to find me. If you want to find me, you can find me in the Loading Ready Run Discord community. Yeah. And on that note, I've been Al. And I've been uh, the passerby, anthropomorphic horse and weirdo. And this has been Check This Out, a podcast of media positivity. And remember, a bird in the hand can take out an eye. Mm-hmm.